Welcome, welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. 40K Codex Analysis, List Building, Strategy Development, Game Theory, Mentoring. Our mission, to help you become a better player and to raise the level of the game both on and off the tabletop. Here's your host, Stephen Box. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode number 11 and today we have an awesome show lined up. Not only are myself, Joe and Jack going to be discussing some of the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to army list writing and the goal of this is to help you avoid those same mistakes that we see people make time and time again and obviously we've helped hundreds of people now through our academy you know tailor and tweak their list to make sure that they're really well rounded balanced competitive but also in a play style that really appeals to them. And that's obviously leading to some really good success at the tabletop. And obviously if you don't have the right army list, then it's gonna cause some big problems for you. And you're just never gonna really feel like you can get off the starting block and everything's gonna feel like it's going against you no matter how good you are as a player. You're not just gonna have the ability to really sort of wield that in the right way. So yes, skill set is important, but you do have to have a respect for, you know, how good your army list is. So we're gonna cover that in a lot more detail on today's show. And also in the second half of this show, I am joined by the legendary Paul Murphy, and we're gonna talk all things Blood Angels. So last week we did Dark Angels with Jack. This week, me and Paul, and Paul is a huge, huge fan of the Blood Angels, just like I am. So we have a really good chat about some of the new things that are coming up. So make sure you stay tuned tune to you know how we're considering changing our lists now we've obviously got the new space marine codex and also the index so anyway let's get on to first of all the most important thing tomorrow army list masterclass completely for free and if you want to get signed up for it all you need to do is head over to the blog post which is www.vanguardtactics.com forward slash blog forward slash S2 EP11 and all the details for this masterclass are tomorrow so make sure you go and sign up for that if you're interested in taking what you learn now to that next level um, it is completely for free but um, anyway guys Joe how Hello. you doing? I'm good I'm good I've got a less squeaky chair today less well, editing for me later good man like very it exciting. oh there we go bit of squeak and then Jack how are you doing Jack? I'm very well, Stephen. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good, mate. I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about this topic. It's a topic that I've been talking about kind of all week. Um, we've been talking about it through the emails that people subscribe to our email letter, uh, emails newsletter. I've been giving over some, hopefully, some good value there. Uh, really looking forward to getting stuck into this topic. So I thought we would do a bit of a round robin. And we'll go around the room. Give me a mistake you typically see. And then cover you know potentially why is it a problem and you know maybe an example of where people are going wrong with this sort of style of um these mistakes all right so i'm going to start off with you joe pressure no pressure make yeah. it a good one what is a mistake you see so we'll make so this is one that i've become more aware of we're doing the army list clinic um for the academy yeah and just so you guys are aware we have a a show every single week that's on the academy for our students where they submit their lists don't they yeah they submit their army lists with their justifications and you know doing their homework tasks that we set them through the modules 
Um, and then what we do is we you know analyze and review them and there's actually if you want to see one of those in action we did a free one yesterday we just made it yeah. public to everybody and that's actually on YouTube so you can check that out mm. uh, and we reviewed an Imperial Fist list yeah. and also a Necron list and yeah. we give again some just some feedback and thoughts so yeah carry on with what you've been saying there though, yeah. Joe. so uh, to give an example for instance like a, like a Blood Angels player something you know a lot about uh, Blood Angels players would be like, okay, I want a Smash Captain. Yep. I want Lamartes. I want Astaroth. Yep. I want the Sanguinor. Yep. And a librarian. And a librarian. Yeah. For instance. And you're like, okay, so I've got five characters. I need to fit these into my army. So I'm looking at a patrol and a battalion. Yeah. So you, those two extra characters are costing you two CP. Whereas uh, those two extra characters are fulfilling similar roles to what other characters already do within that list. So you can trim them off quite comfortably. So, for instance, the Sanguinor is a bit of a beat stick. Yeah, I think it's, like you said, it is. They, they feel like they're necessities, aren't they? Yeah. You feel like, okay, I need Sanguinor for this reason, I need the Smash Captain for that reason, or whatever the latest you know popular one is like whether it's one with a t for terror at the moment or lightning claws or whatever and you're like right well i need the sanguinary priest and i need the librarian for this and you're like well it feels like they're all necessary yeah until you actually break them all down and i'll be honest this is very much like dieting yeah you gotta make some hard choices Mm. you can't have donuts cake and biscuits you'll be lucky when you're on a diet to have one You've got to make some hard Especially choices. Especially work in this office. Yeah. The glares I get. Oh, I've just found out where I've been going wrong all these years. But, uh... You can have one, guys, all right? Yeah. Pick one. Yeah. You well, know? stack them all together to make some kind of sandwich. donut biscuit sandwich. Yeah. My man, Joe. My man. <laughs> yeah, so if you can just squeeze in your characters into one detachment, all five, then it's fine, yeah. yeah. But it doesn't quite work, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so, so. Yeah, so, in the, so in this example, you go, well... The Sanguinor is now, he's a bit of a beat stick character. Mm-hmm. So he fulfills a similar, the same role as what the Smash Captain does. So you go, do I need both of these? Well, I don't really need the Smash Captain because my Sanguinary Guard are also a dedicated close combat unit. So I don't need this single character when this squad puts out more attacks than he does. Yeah, and I think you're, you're right there. It's a case of um, you know making sure that you are really justifying why he's in the list, right? Yeah. So if you've got, I think you made a good example earlier off air. You said about um, how you know if you've got a captain and a chaplain, but you've got a very combat heavy list, maybe the chaplain's the better option. Yeah. Because he rerolls the buffs, or if you can get a plus one to the hit roll through another way, let's say the banner ancient. Yeah then you don't need the chaplain, you can just take a captain. Because if you're hitting on twos, re-rolling ones, that's as good as re-rolling misses when you hit on threes. So again, like sometimes you just have to be hard on yourself, don't you? Yeah. Like, I've really struggled with my Ultramarines list. I, I love taking three units of suppressors, but I now want to include a unit of inceptors. So I'm like, well, I can't fit four heavy, uh, sorry, four fast attack in a list. Mm. I'm going to have to cut something. So now I'm bringing in the inceptors because they fulfill a slightly different role to the suppressors and although you know the way i justified this to myself was actually suppressors gained an extra shot per um, model which now means i'm actually getting the same amount of shots from a three-man unit 
as I, or sorry, I'm now getting the same amount of shots from two th three-man units as I was in 8th edition when I was running three units of three because they've all gained that extra shot. I'm actually getting you know pretty much the same punch. So that just allows me to justify how much damage they can do because in 8th edition I knew I needed that much volume of shots to achieve something. So I'm still getting that now because of the buffs they've been given. So that's helped me justify my choices a little bit better. Yeah. No, I really like it. Yeah, uh, good yeah, point. And, and another example is that is sometimes spending the extra points instead of the CP is a good change. For instance, with the, the Gene Stiller cult that we ran on the, the channel, uh, that was a battalion and a patrol. Whereas, with a, well, it's a really CP-hungry army. Is there a way that we can make this into a brigade and put in like a few tax units, but those tax units actually fulfill another role? So, for instance, we put in three units of three mortars to fill the heavy support. Well, those guys, they're good at killing Horde, which is something that the, the list is missing. And also, they can sit on backline objectives and allow your actual dedicated close combat units to go forward and do something instead of babysitting objectives. Yeah, I like yeah. it, yeah. Even if they're literally just, they've got big old bases, even if they're screening out your backfield yeah. and doing actions for you, brilliant. Protecting your characters, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Okay, Jack, I'm gonna pass this next one over to you. So the first one there was spending CPs on detachments that you might not need, or just sort of spending extra than you really have to. What's your next tip that people need to avoid and why? So the first one I'm going for is um, list overall list identity. Okay, explain so, what that means, Jack. So right at the beginning of the list building stage, you, you, you get your pen and paper out or you get your favorite app out and go, you know, I want to build a list. And for me, I need an idea of what that list wants to do. So is it going to be a gun line? Is it going to be a combat army? Is it going to be a highly mobile list or maybe like a really resilient list? I think those are probably the most common kind of archetypes there. And then when you're going through and putting all the individual components into that list, it's always used to have a check and balance against the original idea that you had of the army that you wanted to create at that time. So I think it get quite easy when you're throwing units in and out and chopping and changing that you may end up with a different list than you intended to in the first place. Oh, so like if you're running, let's use the Blood Angels as an example. You Obviously, Blood Angels notoriously are a good combat list. And then you think, well... I wouldn't mind a whirlwind because I've got this really good stratagem, so I'll add a whirlwind in. Okay, well, I want to buff the whirlwind so he can reliably hit, but one whirlwind doesn't do enough, so maybe I add another one in, and all of a sudden you're just kind of pulling more and more away from the true identity of a fast mobile combat list because you're thinking, right, well, I'll put an intercessor squad in there and I'll do this because I need some backfield objectives. So end up, like you said, you're just completely going away from what the Blood Angels do best, right? Mm. Um, so I really like that. Have you got any other sort of examples that you could uh, just throw in there, Jack? Yeah, it's, um, I think it was when I first started playing Orcs. Um, and I built a list. I thought it was going to be a really killy combat army. Um, but what we found when we started playtesting it together was actually it wasn't a killy army at all, really. It had some punch, but it was more of a ball control army. So sometimes list builds and factions may not necessarily play as you initially thought or um or they can be flexible to play a couple of different ways so it's always something to consider um is getting that play get the play testing in with it as well does this actually do what i want it to do what i initially designed it for 
Yeah, and playtesting is one of those most crucial parts of the list writing process and something I'm going to be covering tomorrow in the masterclass in a bit more detail and also giving some structure for people and teaching them how to actually um, you know, play test appropriately because there's a big difference between just play testing with a friend and them thinking you're having a game to see who can win. You're trying to play test a certain element of your list and we're going to cover probably that in a little bit more detail. So no, I really like that Jack. So my one I'm going to cover is not having enough redundancy in a list. Mm. Now redundancy is something in which you can often be used sort of incorrectly um, and I know Jack's got something which he'll talk about which kind of leads on from this a little bit more but let's say you need to achieve certain things in the game so 40k at the moment is extremely varied um, it's probably the most varied it's ever been obviously I know we're going for a bit of a space marine meta at the moment um, and we kind of have been for the last six months but a lot of the other factions are still very playable because of the new ninth edition mission pack I really truly believe that so you need to be able to go to a tournament and have a list that will be able to kill seven knights, you know, with a four up invern, toughness seven, toughness eight, um, and, you know, but anywhere between like 12 and 24 wounds. You need to be able to consistently kill a knight a turn, if not two war dogs a turn. Um, and if you don't have the redundancy in the list, and what that means is, if you've just got that one unit of eradicators to do that job, well, what happens when your opponent goes, okay, well, you've got that one unit that really hurts me. I'm going to get rid of that one unit. So now you've got nothing else to use and you're just going to constantly feel like, well, I had this one anti-tank option and it didn't do its job. Or you're throwing in, I don't know, one fusion pistol into a Harlequin squad because you think, okay, that melter gun shot will do, you know, D6 damage to a vehicle. Well, no, it's not going to be enough. Even one unit of troops with five fusion pistols probably won't do anything with the four plus invulnerable save because you're hitting on threes meaning out of the five shots you're gonna you know miss with two then you're gonna wound on a four so again maybe one or two go through and then you know they've got four plus invulnerable save so again maybe one goes through if you're lucky the average damage you'll do is 3.5 so you're gonna need about five or six boats worth of fusion pistols in order to actually significantly do anything because also you've got to take into consideration the variance on the dice you know your first boat of harlequin bikes or um or less but yes just say uh, the the bikes with the uh, fusion pistols the first squad might absolutely whiff it right the next squad might absolutely tank it and then the next one might kind of be somewhere in between so you need a good amount of um you know sort of variance in there so and enough redundancy so if the first one does it the second one should and if he doesn't then the third one definitely does so i really really like the rule of three and you can build redundancy in through knowing what your list can do through different phases of the game as well so yes you could have a unit of eradicators and yes you could have a unit of aggressors and actually they can perform the same role of killing knights because the eradicators can do it in the shooting phase and the aggressors can do it in the combat phase. But again, it all comes down to justifying why those units are in the list. So making sure you've got enough redundancy and not just wasting those little points on, oh, I'll put a melter gun in here, oh, I'll do this on that or whatever it might be. So have a clear purpose for each of your units um, and make sure you know exactly what they are. Okay, Joe, over to you. What's the next one? Um, it, the next one I'm going to go for is is list tailoring. Ooh, controversial, Joe. It is controversial. What is list tailoring? So list tailoring is, say, for instance, you're going down, well, probably not at the moment because of the pandemic, you're going down the club 
to play lo- some of your mates. The local gaming store. Yeah, or yeah. you're going over to your friend's house. Yeah. And you go, what army are you running tonight, Steve? Mm, I'm going to run Eldar. Yeah, okay, cool. So what I'm going to do is take an army of anti-psychers <laughs> and right. resilient, um, like... Like just just resident troops that can that all your little strength four guns will just kind of patter off. Okay, so say. you're going to take like a heavy aggressor list. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and will that be fun? Yeah. No. Exactly. It's one of those <laughs> things that is. Uh, you don't have to spend long in a Facebook group, do you? No. Um, in a very sort of faction specific one, and it's like, oh guys, um, I'm playing against um custodes tomorrow what army list should i take or what units should i take yeah. and obviously this person two weeks before may have put in there um oh playing against death guard tonight what shall i take i mean i'm jack i'm sure you've seen it in some of the groups yeah, yeah it's it's such a bugbear i think the question should be i i'm playing death guard tonight i've struggled with this matchup before what are certain options that I could develop into my current list to help me deal with that yeah. matchup? You know, if it could it could be a weapon swap out, or it could be out of this unit and stuff like that, rather than saying I need a whole army to go beat this one army. That's mm. for me, like in what we're doing in the competitive forum, that's completely pointless. It's it's just uh, fake um, experimenting and testing, isn't it? Because you're completely just manipulating the game, so you, yeah. you don't really learn anything. Yeah, and I think obviously we've kind of sort of put this to a bit of an extreme, right? Yeah. And if you're probably listening to this podcast, you're already like, well, I don't list Taylor anyway. But Jack's made a really good point there. There's nothing wrong with getting feedback on how you're doing against certain matchups. And list tailoring, there's nothing wrong with it going into a tournament thinking, okay, I need to have an option for Death Guard. I need to have a tool in the toolbox for. Um, Elder, like you said, I need yeah. maybe if if your army really struggles against psychers, maybe you add something in, and that's where list tailoring specifically doesn't help you because you're only ever going to use the one thing that you put into your list to kill it. Yeah. Because list tailoring doesn't teach you the ability to u- get most utility out of your unit. So, like I said earlier, how do you how do you use aggressors? Well, they can kill horde in the shooting phase. And they can actually kill vehicles yeah. in the combat phase. So that you're gaining utility. You're playing in all phases of the game. Um, and, and and list tailoring can also come out from uh, like almost like unintentionally. Okay. Yeah. So for instance, if you only play against one person, yeah, and they only have one army, and you only have one army, yeah, and you play against that person every week, yeah, kind of thing. So for instance, okay. I run Jakari, you run Space, Space Marines. Marines. Yeah. Okay. So naturally over time, my list will start to change because you've bought some units. I'll go, okay, how do I counter that unit? Um, okay, I'm gonna you're taking loads of two wound space marines. Okay, so I'm gonna load my entire army up with disintegrators, which is strength five. And two damage. Two damage. Yeah. And then and then you go to a tournament. Yeah. And your first two opponents are Eldar. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't have the guns to deal with their toughness seven vehicles. And they've got lots of ten like ten model units. And then you come up against an orc player who's just got hordes and hordes of thirty boys. And like, I just don't have the firepower to kill these off. Yeah, so what you're what I think, you know, you're sort of referring to there, Joe, is obviously for the guys listening, don't you need to think, are you in a little 
kind of bubble of a certain few armies yeah. and if so try to think outside of that because obviously over the last six months or two years however long you've been playing this game you would have by even without knowing it slightly adapted your list to beat those armies because that's what you're playing against all the time it's it's normal for that to happen so just make sure you're remaining unbiased and always remain and be open to different suggestions based on the fact that you could be up against Custodes game one, you could be up against Harlequin's game two. They play extremely differently, and the tools needed to kill Custodes are completely different to Harlequin's, or even outplay them, even yeah. if you can't kill them. So that's the other thing, is not necessarily um, tailoring to the point where you can kill an opponent, because so many people do tailor to kill, and what they're not doing, and which is again something I'm going to talk about a lot more tomorrow, is tailoring which is what you should be doing to win the mission because there's a big difference between killing yep. and winning the mission. Okay, nice, I like it. Uh, Jack, another one from you, please. So I've got um, under and over buffing a unit in your list building. So what I mean by that is your, um, I think Chaos is a really good example of what of over buffing. If you look in the Chaos Space Ring Codex and all their supplements you can stack an enormous amount of buffs onto a single unit um which is great and it's great fun it's it's, it's interesting to look at like the, the amount of stuff that you can do to one unit but but what you'll find is you're wasting points and resources to over buff this unit so whatever it's going to do is going to overkill it completely like you know maybe it could be a unit of obliterators shooting twice with veterans of the long war with full re-rolls and you give them a master sanctity to give them um master possession to give them a four of invul etc and all of a sudden you've you've spent way too many points for this one unit and it's um and if your opponent can block out um the obliterators in this example you've wasted all that support that's gone with it. So, you know, it could be a couple of characters, some CPs, etc. And if you're hing like hinging your game plan around it, it could really throw you off your game. So I think there's I think there's a general you want to make sure that you can balance out your buffs across different units at different times and you and that you can potentially double stack on one unit if you need to get a certain job done. So having that flexibility across your army to put, you know, you could put average buffs across everything or you can really hyperpower two units for example to get a spe specific job done yeah i think um no i completely agree because when we talk about the word competitive a lot of people think um and we've had this on our channel recently when we've been doing our live stream games on a tuesday night they're like yeah but this isn't the most competitive army list or that's not the most competitive unit but what they're looking at it is like a very sort of microcosm where they're thinking, well, it's not the most broken unit in the game. Why are we not taking it? Because often for me, when you actually look at what is competitive, I actually think competitive, a better word to sort of describe the word competitive is efficient. You want to be efficient rather than overpowering or overbearing necessarily with one particular unit. Yes, there's some great units out there in the game, but like you said there, Jack, if you've got this one unit that does this one thing so, so well that actually to the point where it can't really do anything else, or yes, it might do that one thing, but then it's inhibiting the rest of your army to do so many other things. 
um, then yeah, it's a complete waste of points, and you really haven't utilized you know those command points and stratagems and um, character buffs in the right way to the point where you're like, well, you're just completely overkilling everything you look at. But then if you're not killing enough units, so yes, you might be able to use that unit of obliterators to pick up, I don't know, um, insert massive strong object in the game first of all. But then maybe what is not being able to do is pick up six different units when you're playing against orc msu style obsec uh, board control list right yeah and a, and a good player will ensure that you never use that in that like, you never obliterate is in that game to what you want to do they'll force you to drop down it because you, 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 you know say you're a deep strike before they'll screen you out force you to drop down out of range of anything any valuable targets you've then declared your hand and then that unit gets picked up in return um so yeah, it's 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 just getting that getting that balance across to make sure you've got different options. If plan A doesn't necessarily work, you've got a plan B in the locker. Yeah, and that I think you've just touched on a really nice segue there into um, something we talk a lot about is threat saturation. Um, and again, this is something we cover um, on the master, uh, sorry, on the academy in a lot more detail. And I'll briefly touch on it tomorrow. But if you if you aren't able to threat saturate the table, then unfortunately, if you've just got this one you know this one trick then it's easily you know played around and a good player will pick that up but actually this is the real weird thing that a good player will pick it up and just you know avoid it or work around it but somebody that's newer to the game is going to have an awful experience against you hmm. you know we often hear this a lot oh you know this thing this one thing's terrible and i'm like but it's not but the problem is that these players that are trying to be competitive are taking probably the most broken aspects um, and most overpowered units of the game that if you're unable to deal with them are really, really good. But when you get to a tournament, you don't need to worry about the players that are you know, slightly newer to the game or less experienced or less skillful than you because you should naturally beat them on skill anyway. What you need to worry about is the players at the top that potentially have equal amounts or more skill than you and have an equal or better list than you and they're the people you need to worry about. Because if you want to progress through the tournament, that's who you're actually going to have to beat at some point because of Swiss pairings. That's the way yeah. tournaments work. You win your first game, you play another winner. You win that game, you play somebody who's won two games. It's not a free-for-all random fest. So you have to be able to reliably beat those good skilled players. And um, yeah, so I, th I think that's a really, really nice uh, point there, Jack, and actually something I hadn't considered until now you've brought that up. I think that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. So my next one is going to be the net list. Oh. Copying an internet list. Yeah. Or listening to the advice on the internet. Obviously, unless you're listening to us and then it's yeah. golden, yeah. obviously. Ours is the best. Ours is just the best. Isn't yeah. it? I'm glad you agree, Joe. I agree. Yeah. I'm sure Jack agrees as well. But uh, we agree. Anyway, yeah. um, so list uh, sort of net listing is where you just go, okay, cool. Well, this army does really, really well. I'm going to take that exact list and take it to a tournament. And. It's, it's okay as a base. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with looking, okay, why is that working? Or, you know, this is working well. Rather than just skipping straight to, I'm going to buy it, build it, and play it, there's one really important question that they obviously fail to ask, and that is, why is it working well? Yeah. With every single top tournament list, nine times out of ten, that player that designed that list would have put it together with real 
uh, sort of tenacity and they would have sort of played so many games with it. They would have refined it and refined it and refined it time and time again and they'll be able to justify every single decision whether it's weapon choice yeah. whether it's character whether it's the warlord trait the relic the stratagem usage um, the order in which those stratagems are used or whatever it might be many people have looked at my blood angels list and they'll say to me oh but you don't need that in the list or i think this list this is better mm. your list isn't as good as this one um but they haven't really understood why I have every single moving part in that list. And actually, as soon as you change it, um, then you're not even utilizing the entire toolbox. The toolbox is there to be used, and that is why it's gone on to win GTs and yeah. you know, given me reliable results. But you can't just take it and play with it. You need to take it, if you are going to use a netlist, and really break down, ask questions, ask yourself why. Okay, when you are playtesting it, What's the justification for this unit's job role? Yeah. Why has it got that many models in the unit and not, you know, why eight, not ten? Why eight, not six? Yeah. Why five and not ten? Whatever it might be, whatever those questions are, you need to be able to know exactly why it's on the table. Is it there to kill? Is it there to hold? Is it there to do something completely, utterly different? For example, my Collector's Assassin. There's not one person I've ever met that's told me why I take my Collector's Assassin for the true reason why I take him. Yeah. And it's nothing to do with his ability to um, stop psychic powers, which is why everybody thinks I have him in the list. It's not. It's to do with a completely different reason. So therefore, that's either going to be 100 points wasted that somebody's going to have, or what they're not going to be able to do is utilize that list properly. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be, they'll buy it, build it, paint it, get it to the table, and they'll be like, well, this just doesn't work. This just dies turn one or yeah. this just isn't very good on the mission front or whatever because then they don't have my play style they don't have my skill set they don't have um they didn't ask themselves and justify why they've got every single troop or yeah. option in there so that's just one thing is if you are going to use a net list ask yourself why yeah. every th single thing decision has been made yeah. okay and um and oh. net listing is like one of the worst things you can do if you're starting a faction for the first time so for instance um if I wanted to start demons yep. tomorrow, and Max, who's on our, on our academy, yep. he knows his demon army inside out, and he's written us full justifications for why those units are there. And his demon army, apart from Nurglings, there is one of every like possible unit in that list. Yep. And and if I picked up list, put it on the table now, I'd be like, I don't know what this army does or why it does it. Like, yep. This like I might as be well be learning an entirely new language. Yeah, and he's gone through year like like the last few years of just like this journey of discovery and learning what this does and why this does it. This unit's here to buff this unit, and then that one buffs another one. This unit's in here to put this specific role, but I wouldn't know that because I don't know the army. Yeah, and yeah. Max has had coaching calls with me on the list. Yeah. He's Every single week he takes part in all of our lessons. So we have a lesson called Pick Your Secondaries. Uh, again, we'll probably show this off on YouTube at some point, what we do there. Um, he takes part in that every week. He takes part in all of the tasks. He does all the homework. He is play testing constantly. Every single training night on a Wednesday, he's there, he's playing mm. um, on the tabletop, you know, and he's constantly making these refinements, subtle adjustments, and most importantly, being self-critical. Yeah. Does this thing need to be in my list? What is it doing? Is something else I could put in even better? Um, Jack, did you have any comments on net listing? Yeah, I think um, don't shy away from it. I, it's uh, 
there's it, definitely an element of work, work smarter than harder. Because if if you pick up a list that's what recently won a big tournament, you go, right, I know that that list, in its core, its main build, it, it can win a tournament. You go, great. But then make it your own. As you say, do do you got, you can't just pick up the list and win a tournament. You've got to do the hard work that goes behind it. So you've got to learn what it is. And I, I think good lists are spawned from previous winners so your net list from a previous winner and then good players will pick that up develop it and adapt it to suit their strategy and play style or develop development in the meta etc and things like that so i think it gets a lot of um negative press net listing but it's a, it's a great tool that we have access to all these lists and things easily readily available and you can and you can pick up a load of models or a new army and go i know fundamentally that these units together make a cohesive force that can play competitively i just need to figure out the you know the bits around the edges and the strategy and how to play it and how to play it to make it work for me yeah and again it just comes down to asking yourself why right mm-hmm. you know again look at my blood angels i fell into the habit of Okay, what is everyone else taking with Blood Angels? Oh, they took a Smash Captain. And it took me two tournaments and about 30 games for me to realise, what is he even doing in this list? He is a crut. You know, he's, he's actually a big waste of points. So it took me a while because I had this belief based on the internet that everybody had to take a Smash Captain with a, you know, ignore Overwatch and damage four Thunderhammer and you fight him twice and you can do this and a Libby Dread that does that and... And three units of scouts at the time was the thing. And I was like, what about Incursors? And this was back in 8th edition. I took Incursors to the LBO. And now look at Incursors. They are the primary troop choice that people take. And this is actually even before the codexes just dropped and made scouts elites. But it took me to go, what is the role scouts are providing? And how do I make that, like Jack said, my own? And how do I take the Smash Captain and what he does? And how do I make a difference? So, you know, I'm rocking Dante in my Blood Angels list now because for well, numerous reasons as we'll get into but anyway guys I think we've covered some fantastic um, options there and um, I think we've covered a lot of the bases but I'm going to be covering how you actually go about writing yourself a really good well-balanced competitive army list on this masterclass on Saturday the 31st at 4pm and Greenwich Mean Time or UK Time. So please, if you are interested in learning more about you know, how to write a good army list and you really want to fast track your knowledge, and I'm going to give you some really good takeaway points for you to have. Um, and if you do sign up for the masterclass, like I said, it is free and you do then get 48 hours to replay that if, for example, you can't make that time. So do sign up for it. The link is www.vanguardtactics.com forward slash masterclass and you can head to that sign up it's completely free and um anyway jack and joe thanks so much for joining me on this segment of the show thank you absolute pleasure yeah thank you very much guys so we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with me and paul murphy the legend from forge the narrative podcast where we dive more into the blood angels so we'll see you just after this short break This podcast is sponsored by Foreground Publishing, who are one of the leading designers and manufacturers of tabletop pre-painted terrain. And check out the Vanguard Tactics Terrain Series, which is perfect for competitive 40k games. Just unbox, build and play. Mr. Paul Murphy, how are you doing? Yo, man, thanks for having me. Well, honestly, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Man, I love talking with you. Uh, I mean, we we have some similar interests. Yeah, there's one... 
one real big red interest i would say that we have that we share <laughs> red sometimes black sometimes gold sometimes yeah. blue they're like the, the primary colors aren't they black yep. uh, golden red so uh yeah definitely and that's going to be the topic of our conversation on today's show because um, i want to get a little bit more of an insight from another blood angel player's perspective so first of all paul what is it that really kind of made you pick the blood angels what was it about that army that you thought yeah this is the one that i'm gonna go big on well i'm not gonna lie the first time that i ever kind of like said let me learn learn more about this chapter was the cover of i think it was the compendium i don't know if it's the compilation of the compendium from back in the day when it was just a white dwarf article or whatever but it had all these red space marines with a gold space marine in the middle and i really liked that that contrast the way it looked and it was a blood drop. I'm like, you know what, let me learn more. But what got me really hooked into the chapter is that in the original art or lore and stories and stuff is that they were these you know, heroes, you know, human heroes that had this, or I guess post-human heroes that had this dark secret. They were trying to contain this, this rage, this, this bloodlust inside of them and didn't want anyone else to know that. So they had this like dark secret and how they, how they kind of helped hide that was through art and story and battle. And I'm like, you know what? This is amazing. No, that's quality. No, the artwork for all the Blood Angels is unreal. So, um, yeah, kind of one of the reasons, you know, why I play them myself. So, uh, yeah, definitely, mate. And in terms of uh, how have you been getting on with the Blood Angels kind of prior to this kind of Space Marine Codex? And also, obviously, the uh, elephant in the room, which is the new Blood Angel kind of FAQ slash index that we've kind of got until the supplement. So how are you getting on with the Blood Angels before this? Because I really want to know what you think of it. Well, when the when the BA hit originally, they had these seemingly really cool rules, but they, I mean, originally for 8th, uh, was they had these seemingly cool rules, but yet they didn't quite fit in with the other rules of the game. It's like, this would be cool if this basic rule already didn't kind of make that less cool. So then when we got the Psychic Awakening, you know, that all came back. We got some additional stratagems, some additional things to to really give them those teeth. That is a bit of a pun. Uh, yeah. Forgive me. <laughs> I went right Wait, into it. You, so. you pun away, Paul. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they, they've got that, that teeth uh, with, with the Psychic Awakening, and it was a great time to play be a blood angels player i mean this is i mean you've had some crazy success with the list and and what the neat thing is is that you had some list elements that that um that maybe i didn't choose and i had list list elements that you didn't choose but the thing is we could both be right and so it, it added all this flavor and complexity and potential diversity there wasn't a linear path to winning you could do all this you know all these cool things with the codex yeah and, and, and psychic awakening yeah, no, I'd agree. In like a lot of the games I played, I would use 50% of the stuff from Psychic Awakening and 50% of the stuff from the Codex, wouldn't you? You kind of like, right, a bit of Fall on Fury here, a bit of Heroic Intervention there. And, you know, then having the ability like Transhuman, that was great on the Sanguinary Guardian stuff. So um, there was definitely some really, like you said, nice, unique elements from each bit, which really played eighth. I would say, you know, played eighth well, but then when ninth hit, obviously the rules on fly changed, screening changed, engaging, you know, we had desperate breakout, all the tricks that the Blood Angels were good at. Um, I felt like GW thought, no, 
no, no, no, no, no, no more wrapping and trapping for you so easily and no more jumping over screens with your smash captains. You've got to engage all the units that you declare now. Um, so there was a lot of things that changed during ninth, but I've actually found, and I don't know if you disagree, that they, they've played the mission really well because they're good combat threats, especially if you build into the combat with the Blood Angels. You can knock people off objectives and you're durable enough to stay there. So it's quite good to score well on the primary. Would you agree with that? I do. I think that so the big changes, like some fundamental rules changes, but that's uh, it is across the board to things. So the the armies that relied on some of that stuff, uh, they did. You have to to kind of reconfigure your list. But the one of the neat things about the Blood Angels is that they are at their core uh, a Marine chapter, and now even more so at the core a Marine chapter. Yeah. Uh, with the new Space Marine Codex. Yeah, so in terms of like what were the diving into this kind of Blood Angels FAQ that obviously came out, um, what was your initial reaction? I want to know how you felt when you when you saw it originally and you thought you've got your Space Marine Codex in hand. Well, what was your reaction to the FAQ? It's a series of, of highs and lows. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, well, okay. Um, I, my no, next two questions I, were what your highlights yeah, and what your lowlights. So let's go over your highlights yeah, first. <laughs> well, a little bit of tongue in cheek because yeah. once when you when you open it when you crack open the, the FAQ and you see that a lot of the stratagems that you have come to rely on are are not there. So forlorn fury being one of them, on wings of fire, uh, being another. Three uh, those are. Yeah, yeah, those those are, and then some of the relics too, you know, that you that you've kind of uh, come to appreciate. Those those are things that are, I mean, I want to say what I relied on them at the time, but now in ninth, I believe they're just kind of what I'd classify into the more win situation. Yeah, uh, because you know you could cross vast dis distances with Forlorn Fury and with On Wings of Fire and do things that. Uh, surprise your opponent, whatever. But now with the, with the board being a little bit smaller, you, there's really less of a dependency on that. Uh, you've what those stratagems really did was bought you a turn, but the proximity of the armies to each other and the con confines of the the constraints of the board also b are like a free turn of movement if you look at it that way. Yeah. And so it's it's a bit of a, you know, kind of a bittersweet, like I understand. And I also think, I mean, look, I guess I'm, this is probably wishful thinking, but I, I hope that some of those elements get injected back into a codex supplement along the way. Um, the, the, the other up and down is, hey, we get to take centurions now. Yep. But centurions are not necessarily the best choice. But at the same time, it's not really a classic, I mean, Blood Angel unit anyway. Uh, Sanguinary Guard are still great. Yeah, uh, I think that the the basic equipment on them is it's even a little bit easier to get into your list now. Um, yeah, and it still does really well. Uh, so the Sanguinary Guard, the fact that uh, I mean, this is kind of jumping onto it is the Blade Guard went up in uh, troop number. So you, now you can take six Blade Guard if you want. And yeah, uh, uh, Vanguard Vets. You know, I know you're a big fan of the Vanguard Vets. They got exponentially better. Yeah, getting that um, well, power fist going to you know just a flat two damage rather than D three, um, and also like the interaction with the ancient now gives you plus one to hit. So it means if you are rocking a uh, power fist, you're not going to be hitting on fours. You're going to be hitting back on threes again, which is great. Um, so that's fantastic, and you know not to mention the extra wound, which is obviously uh, you know goes without saying extremely strong. Um, and also the storm shield now gives those guys yep. a two plus save rather than a 
just a three plus because it was typically attrition in just lots of volume of shots that would get rid of Vanguard vets. Um, so actually having a two plus save just kind of I think is better than having a three plus stock. I, I, I like it. Um, yeah, I think that 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 storm shield interaction is something that you know we kind of looked at. Like, Ooh, that's this change, and you know we don't like to be changed. But I think in in situations just like you're describing, it's going to be a real a real benefit. Yeah, and and how have you dealt with the change? Have you? I mean, I mean, not already from some of the things that you've said. What are some of the things that you do from a sort of mental perspective that you see a change? How do you deal with it? Because I know a lot of people are quite upset about it. So how have you dealt with it to be a bit more positive? Well, I guess, let me say I benefit from a large collection of Blood Angels. Uh, so I'm not limited necessarily in what I'm going to to take by just what I have painted. You know, or, or let's say if I built a 2000 point list and that's all I have, which is fine. This is not a, I've been collecting Blood Angels for 20 years, 20 plus years. So I, like I have just a, a, a large pool of things to draw from. So I, I can look at it, I think a little bit more objectively than maybe some hobbyist out there. So I just want to put that out there as a real concern of things, but like mentally and emotionally, uh, I kind of enjoy the ability to, to go into it with fresh eyes and, and see what maybe the new efficiencies are. Like I, like probably like a lot of people that listen to your show, uh, I like to, to, really see if I can, I can personally wring out some value out of whatever this new book or codex that I've been presented with. Yeah. It's uh, a little bit, a little bit like, like you said, taking a look at fresh eyes through the codex, through the FAQ, forgetting what you had and what you don't have. Think about what you have, you know, at your disposal now. And even things like, I can't believe, I mean, I'm about to say this, Paul, but I would actually consider putting a whirlwind in my list now uh, just to make, <laughs> just to make use of that stratagem to, make another unit fight last because actually that then helps me in certain matchups which the blood angel struggle like the death guard where they turn off your um basically charging benefit for striking first um you know so actually you know being able to shoot that one big 20 man unit of death guard making them fight last means that all my sanguinary guard can go in and i can actually attack you know on on the tip of where I want to uh, so yeah like you said kind of looking at this with fresh eyes and um, you know again looking at the FAQ with fresh eyes as well looking at the characters because actually there was a huge boost to some of these characters which I think have got some really cool interactions so the first one to obviously talk about is Dante what are your thoughts? One more second on that, if I can, is that uh, one of the benefits of this is look, you know, even going into it with that objectiveness knowing that I may have to change up you know, my, my entire list or whatever, I was relieved the fact that I, I don't feel like a Blood Angel player has to do that. This is a, a smooth blend from eighth to ninth and things like your Sanguinary Guard and maybe some of your, um, if you were taking some Primaris as your troops before, they're still good today. So it's, you're, you're going to change what maybe some, uh, your, your primary attack things may still be the same and your primary defensive things may be the same. I think your, your utility things may be changing a little bit and that's not necessarily too, too dramatic, too drastic. Yeah. It's like the sort of 20%, isn't it? So your 80% of your list is probably going to stay or, you know, remain the same in terms of your models. And it's just that little bit of, you know, okay, you can't ignore overwatch now with a relic. So, okay, how are you going to get around that? Well, maybe it's going to have to force you to use terrain a little bit better and fight from, so actually it's going to improve, I think you as a player, because you're going to have to use better tactics a little bit like when they got rid of the wrapping trap because of the two CP strategy and desperate breakout. Now you have to wrap two units and ideally 
with the same unit. And if you can do that, they still can't get out of it, but it, it stretches you as a player. So again, it's making the, the skill level of the game just that little bit harder by removing some of the ease of doing things. Um, so no, I, Paul, I definitely agree, and I think it's a good move. And I cannot wait to see what we do get in our supplement if we get even more tricks in, um, you know, extra bits back. That would be fantastic. But again, that's going to be like, let's get used to it now, and it'll be like the icing on the cake, won't it? Yeah, I think I think so. And if you were taking, you know, um, 16 or 24 secondary guard or something like that before, you can still take that and feel very confident that you'll have a similar win percentage. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So what are your thoughts on Dante? Because in the past, he wasn't great. So what are your thoughts on him now? I So I'll go, I'll, I'll make a broad sweeping statement first. I love all these characters. Uh, I think they've done a great job of making them seem somewhat compelling and interesting and, and, and matching the rules wise of what you want them to be like Dante, you know, he's, he's the oldest living hero of the Imperium. Uh, In some stories, he is actually the, the golden warrior that will defend the emperor on the last days of the Imperium. You know, that's the, and, and he's got rules. I think that match that now. Yeah, I would agree. You know, especially like some of the nuances that he's now got with the, uh, you know, Lord Regent, you know, he can basically give you that plus one CP and also um, getting the epic hero, the Imperium ability where once per game, uh, you know, you can use an epic deed stratagem and it costs you zero CPs. I think that's amazing. Like Dante fighting in death for free. That's, that's going to be incredible, I think, and could be really quite, uh, you know, situationally good, but also game-changing, right? Yeah, I mean, swinging in, so the Blood Angels have the plus one to wound in the first round of combat, or, you know, when they've heroically intervened or charged or whatever. So coming in at strength seven base and then getting the plus one to wound means he's he can effectively engage anything in the game. I mean, if he, if he exists as a miniature on the tabletop, you can feel confident throwing Dante into it. Yeah. Yeah. And he obviously gets the chapter master abilities now as well. Um, so yeah, I'm, I must admit, I'm looking at him as a potential. I'd love to well, see the him death in my list. Yeah. The, each time an attack is made against this model, subtract one from that attacks hit roll. I didn't say anything about ranged or melee attack. That is any time yeah. an attack is made against this model. Yeah. Subtract that's true, one. Actually. So uh, in addition to his, his four plus invulnerable save and, and six wounds, which is, I mean, six is a, is a healthy stack of wounds on a character, and now you're, and a two plus armor save, you are further increasing his durability by shaving off anything that would even touch him by an additional, you know, 16, 17%. Yeah, no, because uh, that's that's really interesting you, you mentioned that, actually, because um, the Sanguinor, he's minus one to hit, but only in melee, so actually Dante is any. The, the wording's very different, isn't it? So, uh yeah, Dante minus one to hit from shooting and combat. So brilliant. Yeah, let's I, hope I, I love thing. the Sanguiner. Yeah, a perfect segue into him is that miraculous savior is, uh, yeah, r- really good. And sure. and the fact that you can you can put him almost directly into melee is, uh, yeah. I mean, he's he's going to get benefit from all those rules all the time. Yeah, because um, he's lost the ability to give plus one attack because now it doesn't, um, sorry, he still has it, but it doesn't stack with shock assault. So if you're charging in, um, you're not going to see any benefit from the Sanguinol because you'll be using shock assault, but it really helps you 
when you're getting bogged down in combat, you know, if you've got, let's say, a unit of incursors are being bogged down with a unit of 20 orcs or something or necromorphs, it just means that you're going to be able to put out a little bit more volume of attacks, obviously, which is still great. And I think there's some other little combinations we can use. But do you want to talk about quickly this, uh, this thing you mentioned here, um, the Miraculous Saver? Because I think this could catch people out. So I just want to talk about quickly uh, how you would use it using the Blood Angels, and then maybe what you need to watch out for if you're against Blood Angels. I, I love it. This is one of those things to where if you just remember you have it, you're already you know, ahead of the game, I think. So at the end of the heroic intervention step of your opponent's charge phase, if this model has not yet been set up on the battlefield, and if any enemy units finished a charge move with an engagement range of any friendly Blood Angels units this phase, you can set up this model with an engagement range of one of those enemy units. This model counts as having performed a heroic intervention in the turn it uses this ability. Yeah, nice. So yeah, what, and this doesn't say anything about what turn it happens. You just you you could be somewhat cagey and and uh, strategic about how and when you use this, and it doesn't have to be any time. You know, as a, you you, know, you may. Yeah. No, so it could be a turn six. Uh, sorry, not turn six. A turn five. It could be a turn one. Anytime your opponent makes a charge move, you can come down and heroically intervene to it. So. Uh, I mean, people are going to have to watch out for that because I think in the right place, in the right situation, you could pick somebody off an objective. You could stop yourself from getting picked off that objective um, and having the Sanguinor come into combat with you at strength six, minus four, flat two damage, uh, doing mortal wounds um, in addition with, you know, a solid six attacks. Yeah, he's, he's, no, uh, he's no slouch in combat. So I think... I mean, I'm definitely, I love the Sanguinor in my previous list. He's still a solid slot in mine now. Um, so, yeah. Is, is there any other sort of characters that you that have jumped out at you and you thought, okay, they need to be making my list? Oh, Kerbulo with the, so people are really hot on the Sanguinary Priest in Kerbulo as well uh, because you can uh, accelerate when you uh, get to use your Assault Phase rules. So your, your yeah. Assault Doctrine rules. And the, these... I think that on paper, this is amazing. Uh, I think that practical application in the games will, uh, you need cooperate. Okay, let me guess. On the on the, uh, on the the tabletop side, uh, these are one of those things to where the effectiveness is somewhat controlled. You need your opponent to be cooperating with you. And a savvy opponent may not cooperate with you to allow you to get full benefit of this. Yeah. And so that's why I think that reading it, seems awesome and this could play out completely different by the way this is just one man's opinion i think that once it uh that is one of those things that once you actually put it on the table and enough people become comfortable with how all that works uh that it you may not get the the sheer benefit from it and and corbulo may not make it you might want to have a sanguinary priest uh you know with the jump pack for instance uh to be able to keep up with stuff yeah, I think um, that that's certainly the way I'm I'm going to be looking to go is with the jump pack because I'm running a very fast jump pack based list. Whereas if I was running maybe impulses, blade guard, and you know, there's nothing stopping you putting Corbolo in a drop pod with a few friends. So you right. could easily you could easily do that. Um, you know, you could chuck a librarian in there or whoever else in that drop pod and you know, that bring that down to support you wherever you need it. And then he's in range turn one, isn't he? So there's still options, I think, to get him in place. Um, so, yeah. So what are you kind of working on hobby-wise then, Paul? Have you got anything on at the moment? 
one more thing on Kabula, if I can, is that his sanguinary high priest ability at the end of your movement phase, this model can use the combat restorative ability twice instead of once. Also pretty pretty stout. Yeah. So that's be on be on the watch for that. Corbulo is a is a high value target if he's on the table and, and uh yeah and presented out there for your opponent. So yeah, hobby table. Sorry. Yeah, wait, what, no, that's all right. No, I think it's it's again good to because uh, if he's picking up, for example, um, you know, aggressors or anything that's, you know, forty odd points plus, like a blade guard model or a sanguinary guard, and he can pick up two, then brilliant. You know, you're getting some a lot of points back over the course of that game just from Corbola. So I think that's a yeah, good shout. He can yeah, pay so for then, yeah. himself, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. See, yeah, hobby desk. What are you what are you working on at the moment? Right now on my desk, I have four impulsors, Blood Angel impulsors. Okay. Strong. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. That, I mean, I've been a kind of a, a big proponent of the impulsors since they came out, and it, nothing's changed. I, I think that this is a this is a tank with. It's not a ton of points, and, I, and I'm afraid I, I don't I don't have the the point cost for for them right now in front of me but it's still not a ton of points and you get some reliable guns that get the benefit from you know the early stage doctrines uh, of the marine list uh, and it holds you know six dudes to six primaris and so you can make this thing durable if you want to i actually kind of prefer the more shootier version i prefer the gun up top uh, other than the shield yeah uh that's maybe that's just my play style i like rolling as many dice as i can um, but I also like the ability to kind of threaten maybe a couple of different targets, smaller tar targets with one thing like this guy, uh, this tank can threaten realistically two different types of targets on the tabletop and, and, and live, he can live for a couple of turns and you offer kind of a bargain price and you get to put some pretty stout things in, in it, you know, potentially like blade guard vets or death company intercessors assault intercessors but if you're if you're a blood angel player and you are building any assault intercessors i think you probably should go ahead and make them death company yeah <laughs> be rude not to in there really um <laughs> so i mean you're right because i think actually when you look at that because the the invulnerable safe and the impulse has gone from a four to a five actually putting some dacker on there means you can actually you know threaten screens a little bit more because Blood Angels, and especially if you're going more infantry base, you can't just jump over screens. You actually need to blow them away. So now having, you know, let's be honest, your your, your impulses, are, they only need to survive a couple of turns. They need to get your units into position turn one. Turn two, they need to make a charge and take the overwatch for you. So if they can get two good turns of shooting out of them to remove some screens, just means you can open up a juicier target for those blade guard or whatever it is you've stuck in there. Um, to, to really deal the damage in combat. So I think that's actually a pretty fair bet. Um, and if if it has survived, your opponent probably doesn't really want to be shooting impulses unless they've took a secondary, you know, the, uh, the bring it down uh, secondary against you. But then they're not shooting your troops, which are actually winning you on the or winning you the points on the primary or also smashing their face in so i think it's a i think it's a good call cool pool i like it yeah you're exactly right these things can prove to just be a huge distraction i mean the the same thing that they want to fire at this thing a high damage weapon is something with a decent ap to get through and punch through some damage which is which is kind of like the exact same thing they want to be firing at a sanguinary guard so you're kind of making them make some some potentially bad choices and and that's it's kind of what you want you want to you want to create confusion target confusion for your opponent not rules confusion target confusion for your for your opponent 
Yeah, like and, threat saturation, I call it. So they're like, they don't know what they, and they literally do not have enough guns or firepower to kill everything. So you're just presenting all of the threats in one go rather than just going, here's one, shoot it, then it dies. Okay, next turn, here's something else. You know, like you said, threat that, you know, cause that confusion for them to make the wrong mistake as well. Yeah, it's some, you know, really where they, they make a risky thing or they have to overcommit. So if they start firing at an impulser and, I mean, the, it's conceivable that two or three last cannons don't kill this thing. So, you know, and then if they do get most of its wounds down with some of their shots, they kind of have to continue to fire at it until it's gone or they have wasted an entire turn. And there's a very potential for them to tarpet themselves into that situation with one of these vehicles. Yeah, and it's an interesting sort of list build because I'm not going down that build myself. I'm going, like I said, heavy jump pack. So I think it'd be really good for us to sort of compare notes in maybe six months' time and also maybe get another uh, chat again once we see the supplement to see if your views have changed. But I'd be really interested to find out how you've been getting on with the impulses and I can feedback how I've been getting on with the jump packs. And uh, ultimately, we're both kind of leaning into the sort of combat side of things with the Blood Angels. And uh, yeah, obviously, Paul, we love sharing you know notes with you because you make me think about things in a different way so uh, yeah brilliant i still think the jump packs is the strongest thing right now but that's untested so i think this is like right now in the period of the game this is our opportunity to get in there and and muck about a bit play with things like i i actually didn't like the blade guard vets when they were a three-man squad i thought a three-man squad you know what they're just basically dirling around the tabletop and you know with with middle of the road where ranged weapons and then not necessarily crazy impressive um, assault capabilities. But now with a five, you know, five, six man, five man and a character or whatever coming out of one yeah. of these things, I'm a little bit more excited about them. So I would like to experiment with it on the tabletop. Yeah. Or just, you know, take a good 18 of them and break them down into a six, you know, combat squad at all. And you've just got all these little <laughs> uh, units everywhere. And that could be crazy good in some other matchups where you're fighting against MSU style or keep them together. If you're fighting a horde and you need all the attacks you've got. So I think there's definitely some utility in that unit um, and interested to see how you get on with them, Paul. Yeah, so anyway, Paul. Uh, uh, hobby desk things. I'm sorry. I can't, I'm sorry. I'm dragging it out, but, uh, but like other no hobby desk things is that the characters are changing. We may not, our smash captains as they stand right now might not be what gets us, you know, what we want right anymore. You know, this is, so with Marines, you have the kind of the luxury of being able to, to you, you really dive deep into your bits box and make some impressive looking character models. And that's also on my hobby desk. And I think guy with lightning claws is, is not absurd right now. might not be unheard of to, to see on the tabletop. Yeah, they got some play. Yeah, no, certainly I'm mixing up my characters that I've been using to uh, completely different ones now. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm looking at actually a Dante. I'm going to see if I can make him work. Um, so I'm looking at a good conversion at the moment. I've just converted my Sanguinary Priest with Jump Pack and maybe even a Librarian with Jump Pack as well. So, um, yeah, de definitely. I'll send you some pictures of the conversions and I'll put oh, them up on do. the Instagram and stuff. So, uh, anyway... So, Paul, thanks so much, mate, for coming onto the show. Um, and where can people find you and what, what you're kind of working on at the moment? So I run a show called Forge the Narrative with some with some great folks. Uh, Adam and Red are my regulars right now. And they just, they're, they're insight into the game. You know, we're, we're, we're players, uh, and, but we're also kind of lore junkies and, and hobbyists and stuff. And so, you know, we, we do a weekly show. Uh, you can find us in any of the aggregators. It's called Forge the Narrative. Uh, any any of the podcast ag aggregators uh, love to any of your listeners to check us out if they haven't already. Uh, I'm also doing some work with the Nova Open Charitable Foundation, uh, which is a, a brilliant organization 
uh, that, that supports uh, three well-known charities as well as some, some, some other smaller efforts. Uh, Doctors Without Borders, Breast Cancer Research, and the Fisher House are, are I think, their primaries. But they, they uh, sell raffle tickets for um, miniatures. So, And I say miniatures, I mean titans and armies and stuff. The fall raffles are, are live right now. That's in the NovaOpenFoundation.org. You can see what's up there right now. Um, they... Uh, it's it's a great way to to support some of these organizations these great organizations uh, and the, the upside of potentially winning and you know a absolutely display quality miniature and or army uh, for yourself and uh, this previous raffle we did a virtual lounge where we hosted a three hour live show uh, kind of to, to push and to promote and do some entertainment for folks that may be getting some of these raffle tickets and we're going to do it again coming up uh, later this year so keep your eyes peeled for that but if you want to go and take a look at what is up right now that is at the novaopenfoundation.org okay yeah and i'll put the links into the show notes of this episode um because we have, I have a blog page for every single episode pool so if you send me all the links i'll put them all in there and people can check them out and you know support the work you're doing so uh, yeah and they can definitely go and check out your podcast it was it's certainly on my listen to every week so uh, yeah paul i really appreciate the work you've done um and keep doing what you're doing paul so uh, yeah really appreciate your time as well thanks for having me man i appreciate that okay mate take care and i'll see you soon This podcast is brought to you by the Vanguard Tactics Academy, the only online coaching course for Warhammer 40,000. At the VT Academy, not only do we help you win more games in the right spirit of the game, we'll build confidence and we'll help you get more value and enjoyment from your hobby and take you through step-by-step guides for everything from starting your first army to tournament play to advanced tactics. Sign up at vanguardtactics.com.